Good evening. Kind of giving a look around the auditorium. I don't remember this morning that we uh, noted our three folks that were baptized uh, this past week. I'm going to, I see one, I'll just call out all three names. Uh, David was out of town, I'm not sure if he got back from Knoxville. Uh, But Aiden Rhodes was baptized last Sunday morning. Aiden, if you'll stand, amen. Thankful for his faith and his decision. Janet Brent was baptized on Wednesday night. I saw her here this morning. Janet's not here tonight, I don't think. And then David Wade was baptized at noon on Sunday. I suppose when they come next week, we'll have them stand at that time. How wonderful to see the kingdom grow. And that's how the kingdom grows, is when we reach out into our community and we share the gospel with our friends and neighbors. And I cannot say enough how much you as a church are to be commended. Hiram and I talk about this often, and neither of us in our experience as preachers have seen a congregation who so freely and so frequently and so successfully are inviting your friends, your co-workers, your family, uh, those that you have influence over to come and to uh, worship with us and provide doors of opportunity. And so I want to commend you for that. How wonderful. What a wonderful encouragement it is when we see that. The only other thing I'll say before we get started is that unless the Lord comes, you'll not have to hear about MNs, O, and Ps for a long time. <laughs> Folks are asking, that's kind of random. Why M, N, O, and P? Well, before the pandemic, we had gotten to that point and had not asked those folks into our home. And so if your name starts with a different letter, you'll have an opportunity in time to come. Uh, Lord willing, if you want to afford yourself of that. I want to be rich. I know that we looked at 1 Timothy and we talked about some things that would have uh, touched on financial matters. But I want us to think in terms of the fact that it's okay for us to want to be rich. You've heard of the Fortune 500, but I don't know if you've heard of the Forbes 400. The Forbes 400 is a list comprised of the 400 richest people in the United States in 2024. You're probably not surprised who's at the top of that list. He is uh, still setting the pace worth $251 billion. I'm talking about Elon Musk. But it's interesting to see the come and the go on that list. And one interesting newcomer on that list is a household name already, Michael Jordan. Do you know he's the first athlete to ever make the Forbes 400 list? And if you were to look at that list, Forbes lists out their occupation. And most of them have only a few occupations overall. They're either investors or they're in the banking industry or they're involved in real estate in some way or they're computer pioneers or they're sports team owners. And they'll go through and they'll list all of their assets or their net worth. But I want to focus on poor old Daniel Sundime, number 400 on that list of 400. Poor old Daniel, if you were to liquidate his assets and weigh them out in quarters, it would amount to 146 million pounds. Or if you were to want to maybe make it a little lighter for yourself and do it in $100 bills, it would only weigh about 64,000 pounds. There's a word that's used in the Bible nearly a hundred times and it's translated as in English as it is in the original. It's rich 
or wealthy. It's the word that's used that we come across when we're looking at the rich young ruler or the rich farmer or the rich fool or the rich man and Lazarus. And the word is used in a figurative sense and in a literal sense. And so there are times in which the word is translated and it can have a negative connotation. It is possible for riches to be deceitful, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 22. Or to be choking, Luke chapter 8 and verse 14. It can be tempting, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9. Or they can be rotting, James chapter 5 and verse 2. Or they can be abounding, Romans chapter 10 and verse 12. Or they can be surpassing, Ephesians 2 and verse 7. You see, that word rich is also used in a figurative sense to speak of the fact that God is rich in His mercy. That we read about God's glorious riches or the riches of His glory and the riches of His grace or He will communicate to us that we're to be rich in good works. When Kathy was a senior in high school, they were trying to decide what the senior song ought to be. I don't know if you remember that process. They would call you into the assembly room, and as you were together, they would present some of the finalists, and you were to vote on the songs. And they narrowed it down to two songs at Manchester High School in Manchester, Georgia. And what was that, 2015 when you graduated high school? And when they did, they reached way back before that and found two songs. One of them was, The Wind Beneath My Wings. And another contemporary song, I Want to Be Rich. Well, they went back and forth and it was a very narrow vote. And at the end, they did choose that song that talks about how we should lift up and recognize the supportive people in our lives. And it barely beat out a song whose lyrics go, I want money, lots and lots of money. I want the pie in the sky. I want money, lots and lots of money. So don't be asking me why. You know, there was another song in that period of time said, we are living in a material world. And I believe it's just as true today as it was in those days. And yet, when I look at Scripture and I examine what's said about what we're going to see tonight, I suggest to you that I want to be rich. The adverb form of that very word that we talked about that's translated rich or wealthy is only found four times in the New Testament. And every time that that word is used, the originator of the riches is said to be God. And God is saying in those passages that he wants to give what he has, which we know is everything, to all of those who are interested in having it. He is the source of it, but he wants to give it to us. But I want to suggest to you, and I say this in kindness, that this is not some Joel Osteen health and wealth prosperity sermon, not at all. The things that I'm talking about are not subject to being moth food or being kindling for the great fire at the end of time. But I want to take note of those passages in which we see that word in its adverb form, richly or abounding. And I hope that you'll say with me when we're finished looking at these passages, in those ways I want to be rich too. First of all, I suggest to you that I want to be rich in His Word. Now here is a passage that is familiar to you and perhaps sometimes it is only as a proof text for why we sing in our worship the way that we do. And while it has great value in that sense, we rob ourselves if that's all that we see being said in that passage. 
The Apostle Paul in Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord in whatever you do in word or deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks unto God and the Father through Him. That's Colossians 3.16 and 17. What I want you to focus on is that there's an imperative there. And that is, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. The inspired apostle is saying, this is a command from God that I want you to fulfill. I want you to let Christ's word to come to richly live within you. Now in context, we ask ourselves, well, how do you do that? How do you let God's word dwell richly within you? In the context, it's teaching and admonishing one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What the inspired apostle is saying is that when you come together and the songs that you sing are not just in spirit, but they're in truth and they reflect accurately the scripture, then what you're doing is you're letting Christ's word to sink down deep into your heart. Every time we sing a song that accurately reflects the truth of Scripture, we're letting Christ's Word dwell richly within us. Now you, all of us have our favorites, songs that really speak to us. But what about those songs that speak of the greatness of God and the magnitude of God? When we sing those songs, they are pointing us to all the Scriptures that teach that truth to us. What about the songs that are admonishing us to live holy lives and committed lives? When we sing those songs, they're driving us right into the text of Scripture so that we can appreciate the truth that's being taught in those passages. Or what about those songs we sing that are praising and thanking God for His blessings, His material and His spiritual blessings? Every time we sing those songs, they're pointing us right back to the Bible where we can see what God has said in His Word. And it makes us want to say with the psalmist, Psalm 108 and verse 1, I will praise, I will praise your name even with my soul. I will sing with joy of the work of your hand, Psalm 94 and verse 8. When we look at what Scripture says, we see that this is an important way to do that. But would you agree with me? That singing is far from the only way that we can let the word of Christ dwell richly within us. If we want to be rich in the ways that matter to God, shouldn't we find as many ways as possible to let the word of Christ dwell richly within us? I know now that we're leaving the context of Colossians chapter 3, but let's challenge ourselves to think of ways in which we can let the word of Christ dwell richly within us. And when we do, Our lives are going to be richer because of it. I thought of a few things. Certainly I would encourage you to go and add to this list. But one of the things I thought is that in addition to singing songs, pick a fruit of the Spirit. You know, we know that one from, uh, I don't know if we sing it in Pew Packers, but we sing it in VBS sometimes. The fruit of the Spirit. We know all of those fruits. I picked one randomly. How about self-control? Maybe that's something you need to work on in your life. Maybe you'll need to go to Scripture and find all that it says on how to work on self-control. Maybe you start by defining it. It means to reign over or to have control over your passions and desires. It means to say no to your body. And then diagnose it. Is there any area in which you need to work on self-control? I know I do. Maybe you'll look in your life and you'll say, I need to work on self-control when it comes to money. 
Or maybe I need to work on self-control when it comes to food. Or I need to work on self-control when it comes to my tongue. Or I need to work on self-control when it comes to sexual desires. And so, diagnose it. And then demonstrate it. That is, go to Scripture and see what examples you can find in which self-control is at the heart of the discussion. Maybe there are those who lacked it and needed more of it, or maybe there were those who taught it, or maybe the Bible holds up examples for us of those who were lacking in self-control. Do you remember when Paul's in jail and he speaks to Felix in Acts chapter 24 and verse 25 and he reasoned with him of righteousness and of self-control and of the judgment to come? How about Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25? He says, self-control is important to me as a spiritual leader. As I reach out to others and try to save them, I need to exercise self-control on myself. How about King Saul or King Ahab or Herod Agrippa I in Acts chapter 12 or the rich man in Luke chapter 16 and verse 19? And then detail it. Go to Scripture and see if you can't find Scriptures that will give you principles that will help you to work on self-control. I thought of a couple. How about Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 9, where he says, I forget those things that are behind me, and I reach forward to those things which are ahead of me. Or how about the passage we looked at this morning in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself uh, and take up his cross of self-denial daily and follow me. Man, tackle self-control from every biblical angle that you can find. And the more you fill your heart with what God has to say about that, think about how rich your life will be as the word of Christ dwells richly within you. Or maybe what you need to do is to find an area in which you're struggling and focus on what Scripture has to say about that. Maybe you are struggling with your tongue. Maybe the the struggle is with lying. Or maybe it's with cursing. Or maybe you have a hard time forgiving yourself and you have a hard time freeing yourself from guilt over things that God has forgiven. Or maybe you're holding a grudge against somebody and you won't let it go. Why not go to scriptures that challenge those things? You know, how often do we hurt ourselves by the methods or the means that we use to try to handle something that we're struggling with or perhaps by not handling it all? Go to God's word and fill your heart and address your struggle head on. Or maybe what you can do is to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly through setting a goal. Maybe there's some spiritual growth area in which you really want to focus on for a period of time, maybe for this year, 2024. I think of the goal that is probably the most prevalent goal of the people who are here tonight, and that is the goal of sharing the gospel with a lost soul. And if that is our goal, why not just talk about it and sing about it? Why not go to God's Word and see if we can't find some ways to spur us on, to be more rich in this regard? Well, I would recommend go to the book of Acts and excite yourself as you walk through Acts and you see how the Christians not only received the word, but they were ready to go out and to share the word with all those around them. Or look into the life of Christ and see his passion for souls as he walked this earth. In Luke 15, he's eating with, uh, with uh, tax collectors and sinners. And, it, and he's so passionate about it, he gives three heart-rending stories that we still talk about today to show his care about souls. Or Luke 19 and verse 10, somebody that the rest of society was ready to cast off. He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Or then look at what he does at his resurrection. 
Jesus is about to step on the cloud and his leaving concern is take the gospel to every creature. Luke 24, verse 46 through 49. But not only that, why not go to some of the passages in the epistles that urge us in soul winning? Colossians 4 and verse 6, Let your speech be always with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you might know how you ought to answer every man. What every man? Those in the world, Colossians 4 and verse 5, as you walk with wisdom toward outsiders. Or how about 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, The things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men that they may be able to teach others also. It's exciting when we begin to see Scripture come alive. You know, when I think about it, I was talking, about, uh, talking with one of our elders today and talking about how that principle really uh, plays itself out. I think about one of our new Christians who has brought several of his uh, friends from the gym with him and, and they're showing up for services. And even one of the friends is bringing friends with him. Maybe we want to fire up our passion and we can go to Scripture and we can see those principles as they live out today. You want the word of Christ to dwell richly within you? Challenge yourselves in these ways. Maybe you want to focus on an attribute of God. And there are so many to build our faith, to make us rich spiritually. Let me just give you one to consider. What about the omnipresence of God? The fact that God is everywhere all at once. Maybe you want to do all you can to build your faith and appreciation for that. What you can maybe do is affirm it. Go to passages like Psalm 139 and read how Scripture tells us the extent to which God is everywhere and what it means for us. Or maybe you're struggling with sin and you want a deterrent. Maybe Jeremiah 16 and verse 17 will keep you from doing that because you know of God's watchfulness and His presence. But maybe you're being hurt by life and as you're discouraged and you're hurting and you're wanting to hang on to faith, you need passages that remind you that God hasn't left you, that He's there. Like Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. Another way that you can fill your heart richly with the Word of Christ is to consider a command in relationship to a relationship and see what Scripture has to say about that. Maybe it's as fundamental and as intimate as your marriage. Or maybe it has to do with a friendship. Or maybe it has to do with interacting with your boss. Or maybe a difficult co-worker. Or maybe a brother and sister in Christ. There are key texts of Scripture that we can go to and consult that can help us to work on those relationships. My point is we can be spiritually abundant. We can be on heaven's list of the wealthiest if we will let the word of Christ dwell richly within us. I want to be rich in His Word. And you know the good news is? I can be. It's accessible like it has never been before. We have tools and means to help us to study it like no generation maybe in the history of the world. But then second, I want to be rich in all the enjoyable things. If you'll permit me, I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, but I want to go back to a text that I looked at not long ago. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 Through 19, where the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to talk to the church at Ephesus and to instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who gives all things richly to be enjoyed. Instruct them to do good. 
to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, laying up a treasure for a good foundation for the future that they may lay hold of that which is life indeed. The Apostle Paul tells us that it's possible to be rich in more than one way. In this context, he says you can be rich in this present world, verse 17, or you can lay up treasure for a future foundation, verse 19. The Apostle Paul moves from the attitude of the wealthy in verse 17 to the attitudes of the wealthy in verse 18. He is going to remind us in other writings of how God gives all of us more than we need in this life, no matter who we are. That God blesses us in every way it can be measured. For example, Paul says to the church at Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. Or 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, he says, This I say also, that he that sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He that sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. God gives all of us more than enough to enjoy life. But if I want to be rich and enjoying life, Paul has some instructions that really are relevant to almost all of us. Number one, to be rich and enjoying life, he says, do good. Now this is a principle Paul uses in the same way in talking to the church in Galatia. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6, he says, The one who is uh, taught the word is to share in all good things with the one who teaches him. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh, will of the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not be weary in doing good. For in due time we shall reap if we do not faint. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those who are of the household of faith. I know that there are other applications, but it seems that in context Paul is talking about doing good with our financial means for the cause of the kingdom. And certainly in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 18 Paul says, Instruct those who are rich to do good. So that may indicate our reaching out and helping those who are are poor or supporting missionaries. But it also takes in everything that God calls good in living the Christian life. But furthermore, to be rich and enjoying life, we are to be rich in good works. We're not to be focused, obsessed with our bank accounts and with our retirement dollars, but in storing up opportunities to do good. And so everything that makes up the good life in Christ, we're to be focused on doing those things for the sake of the kingdom. To be rich and enjoying life, we are to be generous. Now this of the three commands seems most focused on the financial. What Paul is essentially saying is those that have a lot ought to give a lot. There should be nobody in this world that is more generous than a Christian who is endowed Uh, generously by God with wealth. But of course, it doesn't surprise you from society's standpoint that that's not how the statistics work out. The Journal of Economic Perspectives tell us that the most generous givers in our nation are those who make on average $25,000 or less. They give 12% of their income. 
that those who make 162000 or more a year give 2% of their income. But when it comes to our attitude toward what we have, we listen to Paul and what he says, that if we're going to be rich and enjoying life, then we're going to be generous because God's been so generous to us. And we're also to be rich and enjoying a life we are going to share. What Paul seems to be saying is that those who are endowed financially, they lay aside, they're waiting, they're stockpiling, looking for an opportunity. Before the opportunity arises, they're prepared because they've been anxious for that opportunity to come. I think this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, where he says, Lay up for yourselves not treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to be rich. Knowing what God has placed into my hand, I want to be rich and enjoying life. And that means that I'm going to have a healthy relationship with my financial life. Then third, I suggest to you that I want to be rich in renewal. You know, it's a beautiful truth that the Apostle Paul tells us in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 that God saved us, not on the basis of works which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which He poured on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, through the abundance of His grace that we might be heirs of the hope of eternal life. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 through verse 7. Now I believe that what Paul is suggesting or talking about by being being regenerated in the Holy Spirit and renewed not on the basis of works and righteousness which you have done, but by uh, His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, I believe those two things refer to the same act. I believe it's what Jesus taught Nicodemus in John 3 and verse 5. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he can in no wise enter into the kingdom of God. God wants to renew us. He is going to renew us Through the act of baptism. God's mercy and God's love and God's goodness. He wants us to have. He wants us to be heirs of the hope of eternal life. He wants us to be the recipients of His grace. And He has reserved that in baptism. And so when we are baptized into Christ, we have that renewed life. We're not going to be those things in verse 7 before we've done what God says in order to get the benefits of His grace. But when we do that, Scripture tells us that He pours richly His Holy Spirit on us. Now in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, this was taught from the beginning of the Christian age. Peter's preached about Jesus and what He did for us and how we need His redeeming act. And when the people say, what shall we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises unto you and unto your children and unto them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out on our heart through the Holy Spirit that has been given unto us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. Know you not that you're not your own? 
You were bought with a price. That the Holy Spirit is in you, which you have from God, and you're not your own. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. I'm not to suggest to you that I understand all that's involved in this, uh, this uh, amazing idea. That when we come into Christ through the act of baptism and we rise to walk in newness of life, we're renewed. This idea, this word means to, to have a clean slate. To start all over again as if from scratch. Romans 6 and verse 4 says that when we're baptized into Christ, we are raised to walk in newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But what happens in part when I am baptized into Christ is God allows His Spirit to live within me. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. And if the Spirit of God does not live in us, then we are not His. I don't believe that that's something that's sensorial. That is that we can sense and that we can feel. It's not some static electricity that comes into our body because the Spirit is in us. It is not a matter of His talking to us apart from His Word. But it is a matter of His helping us and strengthening us. And if I don't understand all that's involved in that promise, it does not negate what Paul says in Titus 3 and verse 6, that His Spirit is richly poured out on us. I know He helps me and strengthens me. Ephesians 3 and verse 16. I know of His presence because of the promise of the Word of God. I know that it is a seal of my eternal redemption that causes me to be an heir, Titus 3, 7. And I'm going to receive the end of that, Ephesians chapter 1, someday. And it causes me, in living the life in Christ, to move along toward the goal of heaven, So that I can say with Paul, though my outward man is decaying, yet my inward man is renewed day by day. I want to be rich in renewal. Now what that means is, I must act on my faith in Christ. I must repent of sins and I must be baptized in order to come into Christ, have my sins forgiven, and to have the Spirit of God to live within me. To have this beautiful relationship with God. I want to be rich. I also want to be rich in eternity. Now Peter uses that word once in the adverb form. And he says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to uh, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these these things are in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But he who lacks these things is blind and he cannot see afar off. And he has forgotten that he's been purged from his old sins. But then he says in verse 11, As we give diligence to do these things and to grow in our knowledge, He will make us to neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For so an everlasting entrance shall be abundantly supplied or richly supplied to you. At the risk of this sounding a little bit redundant, the Apostle Paul is laying out in front of us several different qualities. We often call them the Christian graces. This faith, that we studied, that was so eloquently shared with us this morning, that's not a blind leap of faith in uh, in the dark, but this reasoned faith 
that's based on such powerful evidence, this faith causes us to grow in knowledge as we saw in our first point, but that knowledge doesn't stop there. That knowledge leads to these other internal and external qualities. I'm going to be stronger in my discipline of self, but I'm also going to be stronger in helping others. You see, it's going to extend not just to my knowledge, but to my brotherly kindness and my love. Love of God and love of one another. And Paul says that if these things are in you, and they keep on increasing, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. These are protections against stumbling. He's not saying that you cannot stumble, but he's saying that if you continue in these things, you will not stumble. There are protections against our stumbling. And at the end of the way, having not stumbled, or if we have stumbled, if we have gotten up and we have continued to the end of the way, faithfully, being fruitful and useful in the cause of Christ, we are going to be richly supplied with an eternal home with God. But God says that we have got to be those who not just take in all these blessings that God gives us, but we've got to give them. You know, I've been to the Dead Sea several times. I'm one of the few people that hasn't really seriously tried to float in it. They say it's hard not to, but if you ever see me float, you realize I can defy some of the laws almost of nature. But I've stood in it and I've felt that oily water and it's incredible to read about the, the Dead Sea. It's, it's unique among the waters of the earth. It's been receiving its water from especially the Jordan River all the way back into Bible times. It has inlets, but it has no outlets. It's always receiving, but not giving. And now it's not even holding its own. It's losing 3.3 feet per year. And it's enough that it's causing international concern. There are mining companies that are mining the minerals out of the water and they're diverting the water other places. The point is that if they don't correct this, ultimately the Dead Sea is going to dry up. But I think the Dead Sea, even before it got to this point, is a great illustration of how God doesn't want us just taking it in and not giving out what we've received. God wants us to be fruitful and useful. Every time he talks about bearing fruit, it's something that's positive. It's something that's a necessity. Now, he doesn't say that we earn our trip, that we can somehow be an executive platinum level Christian or that we can get our Eagle Scout in Christianity and so thereby through our usefulness and our fruitfulness earn our way to heaven. What it does say is that appreciating what God has done for us, we keep our sight on the goal. We don't lose sight. We don't stumble. We don't stop. Kathy and I went to Mammoth Cave when Gary was small enough that I could put him on my shoulders. I wouldn't try that today. It's been a long time. But a few years ago, we took the three boys and Kathy and I went to Carlsbad Cavern and they kind of conduct both of those and they're both national parks in the same way. There's an elaborate passageway and you go down to the bottom and they take you all the way into the middle and as soon as they have you as far away from the entrance as they can, they'll do that little experiment where they cut off the lights and there you are in the dark. And if you have a, a, a light-hearted uh, tour guide that day, he may say, all right, I'd like you to find your way back to the entrance. It's very difficult to do in that darkness, isn't it? What Peter is saying is that those who lose sight of those Christian graces that aren't being fruitful and aren't being useful, they're blind and they cannot see afar off. They've forgotten their purification of sins. They're stumbling in their service. It's hard for them to find the entrance. 
I'm not going to nullify or supersede grace by doing these good things. But understanding what God has done through Christ will cause me to wake up each and every day eager to do all that I can to be fruitful and useful for His cause in His location. The location for us here at Lehman Avenue. We're going to do whatever we can. We're going to strive to grow in our service to Him because we realize that in doing that, in appreciation for what God has done for us, that by this we're going to have this rich or abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom. My dad preached for 60 years. Most of that was full-time. There were a couple of times where my dad, frankly, suffered from burnout and he had to get out of full-time preaching for a while. The time I remember was in 1980. He went to work for a place called Life and Casualty Insurance. I don't know how many of you are familiar with that. It's down in Nashville, Tennessee. It was founded by Andrew Mizell Burton, A.M. Burton. Burton started Life and Casualty Insurance in 1903. And it's been bought out a couple of times, and now it's owned by AIG, a company I'm sure you've heard of. It's got $70 billion in assets. A.M. Burton died in 1966, and it is said that if he had kept all of his fortune, when he died, worth it would have been worth $100 million and would have been one of the richest men in the nation at the time. But he gave virtually all of it away. A.M. Burton was a member of the church. And he gave generously to the cause of Christian education, to mission work, to support the preaching of the gospel and all kind of different works related to the body of Christ. And knowing his attitude toward those things, wouldn't you say that he has to be one of the richest people that you've ever known anything about? Not because of his net worth. But you see, this is not a matter of money, it's a matter of mindset. Jesus would call that woman in Luke chapter 21, verse 1 through 4, that poor woman who gave the two copper coins richer than all those that put in. Certainly more generous. It's a mindset. If I fill my heart with the Word of God, I'm going to be rich. Colossians 3 and verse 16. If I support the work of the Lord in ways that help His kingdom to go forward, I'm going to be rich. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. If I am baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, I'll receive this promise. And I'm going to be rich in my relationship with God as His Spirit is poured out within me. And if I find myself serving fruitfully and usefully for the cause of Christ, I'm going to be rich for all of eternity. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11. I want to be rich in the ways that matter to the heavenly evaluator. I don't suppose that it's an accident at all that the scriptures show Jesus positioned opposite of the treasury and watching all that was put in by those who gave that day. I believe that God is looking into your life and into mine and you and I know what God has blessed us with. I want to have Brother Burton's view of life And every day and every dollar and every duty I want to see as a resource from God to use to His glory and for His cause. And in that way I know I'll be rich. I want to ask you in closing, are you rich?
Are you rich in the ways that matter to God? If you've not yet done what Titus 3, 5 through 7 says, it's according to His mercy, it's according to His grace as you respond to that by obeying His command on your faith and repentance and being baptized. You can be rich unlike any list that this earth could generate. And if you're a child of God and have lost sight of your purification of sins, you can be rich again by coming back to Him and reclaiming what's yours. That's what He wants for you. If you need to respond to heaven's invitation, won't you come right now as we stand and sing?